before us in this passage just read from 2 Samuel 17, 27 through the end of that chapter, those few verses, we've been looking at the history of David and in particular lately, his flight from his own son, Absalom. And we see here, I believe in these verses, something that's quite important, although it may just be passed over and frankly, it has been passed over by most of the commentators that I sought. But I think that it's quite important if we continue thinking of typology and what is typified here, as it appears to me at any rate, and I trust to yourselves when I spread the table before you. We have here Shobi and, and uh, Machir, and Barzillai, these three men, come to David. They meet him at Mahanium, where he's finally made his escape temporarily sufficient in order to rest a little. And yet they haven't had time to bring the supplies that, that they would need. And these men, not only thoughtful, but able to bring provisions for them that these hungry, weary people these thirsty people might have their needs met in the wilderness. We were looking previously at three other men a couple of weeks ago. We looked at Ahithophel. We looked at Absalom. We looked at Shimei. And these men, these three faces of evil, as I termed them, have their counterparts, I believe, here in this little passage. We have Shobi, son of Nahash, in distinction from Absalom, son of David. Shobi was a, a son of Nahash the Ammonite. And we have Ittai, I'm thinking of Ittai the Gittite, who blessed David and wouldn't leave him we have him in distinction from Shimei, the Benjamite, who cursed David rather than blessing him. And then, of course, we have Hushai the Archite. And I'm not sure where Hushai was from. He's an Archite, but it was a very difficult event trying to discover exactly where archites came from. It seems like he could have been Jewish, but it was right on the borders of one of the tribal divisions. But at any rate, we have him, this counselor, in distinction from Ahithophel, the Gilanite, who was David's counselor and then became Absalom's so we have these three in opposition to these three evil. We have these three helpers, if I may call them that, because that's exactly and precisely what they were. All these men and many others with them, the men I speak of here are Absalom, Shimei, and Ahithophel. All these men and many others with them. We have been giving, given something of a an idea of the vast army that Absalom was raising. 
But all these men are David's kinsmen according to the flesh. One, as close as you can get, Absalom. But Shimei was a Benjamite. He was Jewish. He was of Israel. Ahithophel, the Gilanite, was Jewish. These men are David's kinsmen according to the flesh. And yet, here they are seeking his life. And he's fleeing from them. Shobi was not. David's kinsman according to the flesh. Ittai was not. David's kinsman according to the flesh. And as I've already indicated, we're not quite sure of Hushai. But the point is that when God is pleased to separate his people from their kinsmen, he gives to them another family according to grace. He brings friends to his people. He brought Shobi and, and Machir and, and Barzillai to David and those that were with him. He brought help to his people. He brought friends to his people. We read in Luke 18 where the writer, the gospel writer there, is uttering the words of Christ speaking of those who had, had given up wives and children and parents, family, and houses and lands for the kingdom's sake. And Jesus said that, that you will receive a multitude more, manifold more. And I believe that the key words here are in this time in this time and in the world to come, eternal life. They shall receive manifold more than what they have given up, than what they've been called away from in this time and in the world to come, eternal life. I believe we have a picture of sorts here, at least if we can stretch our imaginations, we have something of that which the church has been given to the people of God. And I was thinking as Tim read that passage from Luke 24, the body was no longer in the grave. He is risen, our brother read to us those glorious words. And it occurred to me, the body is no longer in the tomb. The body is here. The body he has left on earth to do his will and to labor to bring in his kingdom. And if need be, to give up wife, children, parents, lands and homes and whatever his will might be to be given up. We read of the church in Acts in chapter 2, we read, And day by day, continuing steadfastly with one accord in the temple and breaking bread at home, they took their food with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to them day by day those that were saved or those that were being saved. They were being brought into the church. 
They were friends of Christ, these that were being saved, that had been saved. They were friends of Christ, and therefore the friends of God's people. And he was bringing them in to that body. We read in the fourth chapter with reference to Peter and John after they had been arrested and then finally let go. We read in Acts 4, being let go. They came to their own company. We could underline that. They came to their own company. You understand, they weren't going back to their family. They weren't going to their home, as far as we can tell. But nonetheless, we're told by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they came to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And they, when they heard it, lifted up their voice to God with one accord. There's a definition, too, of the church of Jesus Christ, with one accord. It appears, as I've said, that Peter and John went to the church, not to their homes. Paul has told us in Romans 12, in the fifth verse, so we, so we who are many are one body in Christ and severally members one of another. We are one of another. Christ has determined it to be the case. He has left his body, the church, his bride on earth. He has determined it to be this way. We look at those words of Paul in 1 Corinthians in the 10th chapter. Those very lovely words regarding the body in the 10th chapter and at verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion slash participation of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a communion, a participation of the body of Christ? Seeing that we who are many are one bread. We are one bread. We are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. We all partake of the one bread. He who is the bread of life, we have all partaken of him, and we come together. We are, no, we are not friendless. We are not friendless. David wasn't friendless when he arrived at Mahaniah, but he had three friends waiting for him, and surprising friends. One an, one an Ammonite, a son of Nahash, the king, the former king of Ammon. And here he is to serve David, the king of Israel. In Machir, likely a Benjamite, for it, is what he, it was he that, that provided a place, a refuge for Jonathan, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, David's great enemy. And yet here is Machir, hiding Mephibosheth, as he thought at the time, from David. And yet here he is, to render service unto the people of God with David, if we can put it that way. And then Barzillai, this Gileadite of Rogelum. These three surprises, these three unexpected friends arrive. David's new friends, Shobi, Machir, and Barzillai, all because 
to put it in anachronistic terms, we have a friend in Jesus. And we are the friends of Christ. These men from different backgrounds, how did they even come together, much less determine together to meet the needs of David and his men? Perhaps you remember some of the history of the Ammonites in 1 Samuel, that frightening account of Nahash, the king of Ammon. We read that in the 11th chapter of 1 Samuel at the beginning. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. He's laying siege to Jabesh Gilead. And in order to avoid a fight, the people said, Make a covenant with us. Let's cut a deal. Well, what was the deal? The deal was, if all the men will pluck out their right eyes, so they can't shoot a bow so well, they can't sling a stone so well anymore. Pluck out your right eyes, I'll give you a, a short length of time to do that. And of course, they weren't anxious to do that. And so they sent word to Saul, who had just been made king. And Saul managed to come by marching all night and rescue those of Jabesh Gilead from the Ammonites. Nahash was not a friend of Israel, and yet here we see his son, Shobi, coming to succor David and his men. How did that, how did that all come about? We find, we find in, a, in a later chapter, in 2 Samuel in 10, we find there, and I'll just recite the story to you as best I can. That the king of Ammon, Nahash, died. And so David thought that he would try to befriend the Ammonites. So he sent some representatives. But sort of like Rehoboam paid attention to the young men around his court. So Hanun, the son of Nahash, paid attention to the young men in his court. And they said, oh, David's sending spies. He wants to case the joints so that he can get an army up and, and, and sweep us off the face of the earth. And so Hanun listened to those men. And they sent David's representatives. I think there were two men. They shaved half their beards off making them look silly. And they cut their clothes all the way up to their waist, exposing their buttocks, making them look silly and sent them back that way. They were so embarrassed they couldn't even go to David, but they sent somebody to tell them what had happened. And this was when David began laying siege to Rabbah of Ammon. And this is what they were doing at the time of his terrible sin when he should have been with his army. But he stayed at home. And he was tempted and fell into that terrible sin with Bathsheba. But these, these are the sons of Ammon. These, and this is, we don't see anything of any reconciliation that I can find. 
They went, they went afterwards, after David was reconciled to God through God's mercy, they were still laying siege. And Joab said, we're ready to topple Rabbah, come, and so you can claim the victory. And we're told that he took the crown off the head of the king. We're not told whether Hanun was alive or dead when David took that crown. So I don't really know, and we're not told what Shobi's circumstances are except that he is apparently the brother of Hanun. He was the, he was the, would have been the king of Ammon, and here he is, serving God's people, at least David and those with him, serving the cause of God. That's what the church is, is it not? People coming from hither, thither, and yon, people coming from all kinds of circumstances, different ethnicities, different economic backgrounds, and they're, they're joined together by God the Holy Spirit's work upon their hearts. These three friends that were brought, I believe that they remind us that our merciful God provides friends for his people. These men from diverse backgrounds. These men as Matthew Henry has, and often does, so helpfully speak of them, these men compassionating David and his men, now that they were weary with a long march, brought him furniture for his house, beds and bases, basins and provision for his table, wheat and barley and so on. He did not put them, that is David did not put these men under contribution. He didn't force it. He didn't compel them to supply him, much less plunder them. But in token of their dutiful affection to him, their firm adherence to his government, and their sincere concern for him in his present straits, of their own goodwill they brought in plenty of all that which he had occasion for. It's in the same way that, that God the Holy Spirit brings us to God through Jesus Christ and thus to the body of Christ, to his church. Matthew Henry goes on saying, let us learn hence to be generous and open-handed according as our ability is to all in distress, especially great men to whom it is most grievous and good men who deserve better treatment and see how God sometimes makes up to his people. God makes up to his people, Henry has said, that comfort from strangers which they are disappointed of in their own family. I think it's safe to say, fair to say, that there aren't very many among us that haven't experienced this to one degree or another. This alienation from family. Maybe not immediately family. Immediate family, I pray to God that that's not the case for you. But people in their own family, close siblings, and like Absalom, sometimes children. But even if it's aunts and uncles, this time of year kind of brings these things to our thoughts and sets them before us, how that we aren't one with our kinsmen according to the flesh. But by God's grace, we are one with the body of Jesus Christ, his church, his bride. God shall provide his people a hundredfold beyond what they have been called to give up. David gave up Michal. 
his wife, the daughter of Saul, but the Lord had brought to him her brother Jonathan. God makes up for these things. Has not the Lord, our God, surprised us over and over again with friends in Christ that is beyond our imagination? We had never thought that that person would be a friend to us and God brings them to us. We never imagined that somebody would be a person of that particular position or character or ethnicity or anything of the sort. And yet God has brought them to us and brought them into his son's body. He has promised to do just that. And he will never be a debtor to any. He gives abundantly more than he asks. Did he not even provide many of us a friend in our marriage? By God's grace, he has done exactly that. He provided David a faithful wife in Bathsheba. In spite of their sinful actions, he provides a David a faithful wife in Bathsheba. I don't believe that we read anything of his wanderings after this, except for that enigmatic passage on his deathbed. And it, enigmatic means puzzling, and I'm not going to try to unscramble it. But we don't read, I don't believe, of anything where he's guilty of that wickedness that he was guilty of with Bathsheba. And there she was, at his deathbed, faithful to the very end. Is this not a picture, then, I say, of the church, the people of God, coming together, Shobi, Machir, and Barzillai? Again, those words of Jesus Christ. Verily I say unto you, there is not man that hath, not a man that hath left house, or wife, or brethren, or parents, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this time, and in the world to come eternal life in this time. Consider Job. One of the writers in scripture said, consider Job. I ask you to consider Job. We read, at the end of that book and at the end of Job's life. So Jehovah blessed the latter end of Job more, more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had seven sons and daughters and so on. God will not be a debtor to any the, lawyer, the, the loyal followers of Christ will be recompensed a hundredfold in this life is what we're being taught through this, I believe. The promise that all is lost in one society, the world, will be regained a hundredfold in the new society, the church, created by the dynamic of the gospel, said William Lane in his commentary on Luke. Kinsman according to the flesh, replaced by kinsman according to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Friends, kinsmen that love us, even though we must conclude many times that our kinsmen according to the flesh do not love us because they do not love the one that we love, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Hence, there arises for the believer a compensation for the painful rupture of fleshly ties, which Jesus himself knew so well by experience. And every true believer can, like him, speak of fathers and mothers, brethren, children, who form his new spiritual family. What a blessing, what a privilege, what a faithful God we serve. And these things are not given us as though we earned them. Not at all. It's all God's grace. But he simply will not be a debtor to anyone. Jesus, we're told, came unto his own, and his own received him not. Have you felt that? It's because you're with Jesus that you can come unto your own and they won't receive you. And again, what was the ethnicity of, Z uh, of Zeba and Shimei and Hithophel, Shobi, Machir, Barzillai? This indeed was a case of David, the king of Israel, being assailed by his own. They didn't receive him at this time. They would rather receive Absalom. They didn't receive him. He was assailed by his own. And God mercifully brought strangers to him to be his friends in his time of need. Even at his birth, he brought wise men, magi from the east. And many have tried to solve where they were from and who they were and how many they were and so on. But the point is, it's not very likely they were Jews. And there they came to honor the Son of God at his birth, for his birth. And how about the many Samaritans that came to follow Jesus Christ. We think of the 10 lepers. Only one came back to praise God for the healing Jesus had provided, and he was a Samaritan. We probably are foolish to look to our kinsmen according to the flesh for our friends. We can pray for them. In most cases, that's all we can do. And we can hope but our friends are here in the body of Jesus Christ. Those that love our Lord Jesus Christ as we love our Lord Jesus Christ. David cried out in the Psalms, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. He is our hope, Jesus Christ is our hope. The hope of Israel, our hope. This is our consolation. Jesus Christ is our consolation because of the loss of friends and family. It's not a debt God owes us, but it's a consolation because God loves us and he makes these things often up to us because of his love. He had lost his child, the illegitimate child with Bathsheba. He had lost that child and then he was, then he lost Amnon and now as he flees, he's losing Absalom. And many trusted friends had forsaken him. 
how down in the dumps he must have been. But he speaks to himself. And we, we should talk to ourselves. Sometimes this would teach us, why art thou cast down? O my soul, hope thou in God. He is our refuge, he is our strength, he is our father. Christ is our brother, our elder brother. Emmanuel, God in the flesh, our elder brother. Job responded to his loss, as you remember. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not. But as I've already reminded us, Job, all these things, the end of Job was, was far better. We have, with our friends in Christ, we have communion, we have fellowship. Some of the goals and attendant blessings of that communion, that fellowship in the church, were told of it by the Apostle Paul and in, in Philemon and, and in Corinthians and by John. The fellowship of faith he speaks of to Philemon may become effectual, that the fellowship may become effectual in the knowledge of every good thing which is in you unto Christ. Fellowshipping with the people of God. Rather than mingling with our own kinsmen according to the flesh. This is what we are called to many times. I'm not saying it's everyone's circumstance. But if you go far enough in your family, I believe that you'll find that it is. And I pray to God that it will never be the case. It will be your closest kinsmen according to the flesh. Your children. Or even your spouse. If we walk in the light, John has said, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. We have this fellowship that the world knows nothing about, nor will they ever. Whatever they think they know about it, they don't understand it, therefore they really don't know it. Communion, fellowship, participation, one body, many members were taught. All the members form one body in this time. We are recompensed in this time. It's not just pie in the sky, by and by, like some preach. It's in this time. And we should be counting our blessings. How many friends has Christ, has God the Holy Spirit brought to you? Friends in Christ. To be manifold recompense. For those that you've had to give up. Remember the exchange between Martha and Jesus at the tomb of her brother Lazarus? Jesus said to Martha, thy brother shall rise again, Martha. Martha says to him, I know that he shall rise again, pie in the sky. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, Martha. 
I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he die, yet shall he live. And of course he called out, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth in this time. I'm not suggesting that that's a miracle that we can expect in our day, but it's an illustration of Christ's providing family and friends for his people. I am the resurrection. He shall live, said Jesus, in this time. Manifold more in this time and in the world to come. Eternal life. We need that hammered in our brains, in our hearts, that God will not be a debtor to any. He will not be a debtor to us. Christ is not our debtor. He owes us nothing. He gives infinitely more than we could ever give up. Infinitely more. So cite Matthew Henry just once more. When we see what others keep by their hypocrisy and apostasy, it is proper for us to consider what we hope through grace to gain, not for, but by our sincerity and constancy. It's not something we earn. It's something that God gives. It's a gift, Christ's gift. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's the church too, as well as those in the church, as well as the members. Old things have passed away. This is a new relationship with new people. People who have new hearts like your own. Even Jesus provides many examples. As I mentioned, those lepers, the one that came back, his disciples, they all fled. Where were his brothers? Where were his brothers, his kinsmen according to the flesh? We believe that many, if not all of them, came to God through him eventually, but at Golgotha, where were his brothers? His kinsmen according to the flesh, his brethren according to the flesh. Why did Jesus commit his mother to John, the beloved disciple, and not to one of his own brothers, one of her fleshly sons, but to John? Who came to take to supply this void left by the disciples and the half-brothers when they fled, when they were nowhere to be found? Was it not people like Joseph of Arimathea? Was it not Nicodemus the Pharisee? Surprise, wasn't it? Look who the friends of Christ are. Surprise, surprise. Glorious, grand, blessed surprise. Did not Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, and Susanna faithfully minister unto Jesus? Where were his brethren according to the flesh? How many enemies he had, but he had some friends as well. Whatever we have left or laid out for Christ, it shall be without fail abundantly made up to us. 
In this world, Jesus was teaching. In this world and that to come. Notwithstanding our weaknesses, notwithstanding our infirmities. No man has left the comfort of his estate or relations for the kingdom of God's sake. Rather than they should hinder either his services to that kingdom or his enjoyments of it. That's the reason that many of us have had to leave our kinsmen according to the flesh to serve Christ through the church or in any other way that he should lay upon us or call us to. Many have done this but they shall receive manifold more in this present time. I trust that we can all relate to that, that we are indeed receiving manifold more in this present time. In the graces and comforts of God's spirit, in the pleasures of communion with God and with his people. Praise God for the church of Jesus Christ. His body. Praise God for friends in Christ. As God brought these men to comfort David, so he has done for us, the church. And in the church brought friends to us that we not be friendless. Though if he brought none, what a friend we have in Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit given us by Christ to indwell us. But as I've said, Christ will not be a debtor to any. And he gives us manifold more in this life. So that Paul can say to the Ephesians, So then ye are no more strangers and sojourners. But ye are fellow citizens with the saints. And of the household of God kinsman according to grace infinitely exceeds the kinsman according to the flesh infinitely exceeds the love that they may think they have for us John Fawcett born 1740 converted under the preaching of George Whitfield when he was 16 years of age 10 years later at 26 years of age he was called to the ministry. He was a Baptist preacher in Winsgate in England. He was the pastor of a church that didn't have very much economically speaking and they couldn't give him very much. And he labored there several years. And he and his wife had a number of children and he still wasn't receiving much of a salary. The most he ever received, we're told, was $200 a year. Even in 1770, I believe that wasn't very much. And he got a call to a church in London to succeed the great John Gill in London, in one of the biggest, most popular churches in London. And so he accepted that call. And he and his wife had their wagons loaded and they were headed for London. And she said, John, 
John, I can't do it. And John Fawcett said, neither can I unload the wagons. I haven't heard of any men in our day that when they received a call to another church that it wasn't a much bigger, wealthier church, but not so John Fawcett. They unloaded the wagons and he ended up serving that church for 50 years. And they were never able to pay him any more than that. He was sold out to God, was he not? And he's the one that wrote that popular hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in art and hope to meet again the fellowship of the saints of Jesus Christ, the church. Let us pray. O oh Lord of God, we thank thee for the church of Jesus Christ. We thank thee that by thy grace we are a part of his body, a part of his bride. Father, help us. Help every one of thy people. Help every one of the small churches in the country, in this upstate of South Carolina. Build thy church, O Lord our God. Build up thy people that we might at the end of the day be found faithful unto thee. We ask through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand please for the benediction that's taken from Daniel 7, 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Amen.